Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount and he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus has spoken about two treasures, two masters, two gates. He's called us to listen and to choose, and then to choose carefully, knowing that whatever choice you make is going to have profound consequences. You can choose the wrong treasure. You can choose the wrong master. You can even choose the wrong path. Remember the theme of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has been true righteousness contrasted with false righteousness. True righteousness involves forsaking the broad way, entering the narrow gate. And now Jesus is going to administer a test. And it's going to be the test of, of spiritual fruit beginning here in verse 15 and continuing all the way to verse 23. False prophets aren't restricted to false preachers with a false gospel, but even false professors who claim Christ but retain this false righteousness. They may have outward religious externalities with none of the inward change and true righteousness that's produced by Christ, you can put on a change of clothes. You can carry a Bible. You can come to church. You can even offer up some prayers. They proclaim right words but they retain a false heart. They honor God with their lips, but their heart remains far from them. And so later Jesus will say that these counterfeit citizens of God's kingdom are going to be surprised at the judgment. And so we repeat the question that we asked last week. Has your relationship with Jesus cost you anything at all? Has your decision to embrace God's gospel and Christ's instructions changed your life? Not simply, again, a change in external behavior, but a real fundamental change that has taken place inside of your heart. False prophets with a false gospel and a false message can only produce a false righteousness. That means, remember, when I use that term righteousness, I'm, I'm using it in the sense of a right standing with God. Deception can come from within. That's self-deception. It can come from without. These are the false prophets. False prophets pretend to speak for God. False prophets promote themselves. 
False prophets pervert the scripture. False prophets prey on the ignorant and the gullible. And so Jesus is willing to expose the false teachers and the false prophets in his day. And in so doing, as he makes this dramatic declaration and then embarks on his dramatic um, ministry, it's going to give us some principles on how to recognize and expose false prophets in our own day. False prophets are sometimes crass, but most effective false prophets are subtle and seductive. False prophets construct and promote a false Jesus, and then they preach a false gospel, and then they further their wicked plans by perverting and distorting and then giving themselves permission to live wicked lives. I want you to think this through. A fake Jesus with a fake gospel can't produce a true Christian and true righteousness the way the Bible describes it. There were a group of students at Harvard who once tried to fool their very famous professor of zoology His name was Louis Agassiz. And they took parts from a number of different bugs. And with great skill, they attached them together to cobble a tiny creature who they were sure would baffle their teacher. And on the chosen day, they brought to him their little experiment, asked him to identify it. And as he inspected it with great care, the students grew more and more convinced that they would, that they would deceive their instructor. And finally, Professor Agassiz straightened up and he said, I've identified it. Scarcely able to control their amusement, they asked its name. And Agassiz said, Why this bug? This bug is a humbug. A person with genuine life in Christ and basic training in God's word are going to become skilled in exposing humbug righteousness and humbug religions. Look where it begins. In verse 15, be warned. There are false prophets. Look what Jesus says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Two roads. One broad and leading to destruction. Hell. One narrow leading to life. Abundant life. Heaven. Two animals. One outward pretending to be sheep. They seem harmless. One inward, a ravenous wolf, harmful. One, a pretense. The other, willing to tear you apart. I don't know if you've seen uh, signs posted with little organic intruder alerts the 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 sign will say 
beware of dog. In the classic Peter Sellers movie about a clumsy detective named Jacques Clouseau, he comes to this gate and he sees the dog and the dog is barking and there's a warning. It says, beware of dog. And remember in that famous classic line, he says, Monsieur, does your dog bite? And you'll remember what he said. No. And then he went, he extends his hand to pet the dog and he's met with a vicious response. The dog tears into him and Peter Sellers is going, I I thought you said that your dog doesn't bite. And you'll remember the famous response. That's not my dog. (laughs) When Jesus actually uses this term, beware, it means way more than just simply be warned. It means be on your guard that you should expect something dangerous. John MacArthur writes, false prophets are more than wrong. They're dangerous and we should not expose our minds to them. They pervert thinking and they poison the soul, unquote. Peter and Jude refer to them as spiritual beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they don't understand because they do more than just injure the body. They pervert and then destroy the soul. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 12 and again in Jude chapter 10. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 14 it says with eyes full of adultery they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood unquote. In the ancient as well as the modern times people loved stories and one of the most famous stories of antiquity comes from Aesop he tells the story of a wolf who wanted to steal some sheep and the wolf spotted a fat juicy lamb and then put on the sheep's clothing so that he wouldn't be noticed and it just so happened that very same night that the shepherd had a craving for some lamb tacos So he went to his sheepfold, pulled out his knife, plunged it into the biggest sheep that he could find. And guess who it turned out to be? The wolf. The wolf, disguised as a sheep, was slain by the shepherd. And so it will be when the true shepherd returns. But don't think for a moment that the false prophet will go unpunished. There is a king in heaven. And every time you listen to the radio or every time you watch television, every time you see some outrageous statement made by some outrageous person and you shake your finger and you say, is he going to get away with that? My answer is no. No, and again, no. No shepherd is dumb enough to think that there's no such thing as wolves. And no Christian should be so naive as to think that false prophets are harmless, or that they don't exist, or even that they mean well. 
Wolves would roam the hills and valleys hoping to find some unattended sheep or wayward goat. And wolves are merciless and ferocious. Jesus uses the term ravenous. And this is an interesting word in the original language. The word in the Greek language is harpax. It, It incorporates the idea of a swindler. In modern vernacular, it incorporates the idea of a fraud or a ripoff or a con man or a con artist. Jesus knows that false prophets are cons and cheats who are after your resources and make no mistake about it. They're after you. They're after for what they can get. Naturalists, zoologists will criticize the Bible and say, well, wolves are magnificent creatures who are given a bum rap in the Bible. Can we blame wolves for eating sheep? I concede your point. False prophets are predators. I get that wolves are clever, and I get that they are hungry, and I get that they believe that food exists to satisfy them. I get that. False prophets are clever, hungry, and believe You exist to satisfy them. Some of you might have remembered the old-time broadcast of Steve Irwin. Remember the crocodile hunter from Australia and how he would go out and about in NYCHA and he would take the most deadly things in NYCHA. He would pick up a black mamba and he would point at you and he would say, this snake is the most dangerous snake in the world. One bite from its fangs, my hand would turn black. Necrominency would sit in. It would fall off. I would swell up like a, like a, a watermelon and die. And you all look, waiting for the train wreck. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Some people adopt that same view with false prophets. Just like Steve Irwin, he's underwater, once again embracing the world's most deadly creatures. And he had no idea that one morning he would be in a beautiful ocean and an underwater creature would take its stinger and bury it in his heart and he would die. You might think that this is not a big deal. And not a problem. But make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. You're playing with a very dangerous specimen when you're dealing with a false prophet. You know, the Jewish people had a long history of false prophets. God knew from way back when that prophets, false prophets, were sent to deceive the people of God. Moses warned about them in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And if you have your Bible with you, you might want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13. I hear it is. It's up on the big screen. But again, just because the scriptures are on the big screen... Don't use that as an excuse to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible because I might just go to a place where it's not on the big screen. But in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods. 
which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. The Lord says... Don't listen to the words of the prophet or the dreamer of dreams. The false prophet wants to turn you from the true and the living God. And you'll remember, you'll remember that even the religious leaders in Jesus' own day will say to him, according to Deuteronomy, what sign will you show us? What sign will you show us that you say you're from God and that your message is true? And Jesus basically will wind up saying, kill me. You will kill me. And I will come back to life. You know, it's interesting. Jesus could have said, I'll open blind eyes. I'll open deaf ears. I'll bring the dead back to life. I'll cast out demons. Does he do all of those things? And are all of those things mighty signs? Jesus says it's a wicked and an adulterous generation that teaches after a sign. But if you want one, if you really want to have one, he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And Jesus says, who come to you in sheep's clothing. It means that they adopt the garb and the look of men and women of God. This doesn't mean that they disguise themselves as sheep, like Aesop's fable. They disguise themselves as real shepherds. Later in Matthew's gospel, we read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, four false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I told you beforehand. Jesus knew they would come. He knew they would come in his name. And in the first five centuries of the church, they experienced every kind of false teacher that you can imagine. With every kind of false doctrine that you could imagine. False prophets rarely introduce themselves as false prophets. They don't go, hi, I'm a false prophet. And let's just be clear here. Take out your wallet and pull out your biggest bill. Because at some point you're going to go, this guy is just not, this isn't right. They'll sometimes make the claim to be a restoration movement. That the real gospel has been lost. and, And that they're going to restore the true gospel like Joseph Smith. They claim to promote the true meaning of the Bible message like Charles Taze Russell and our friends who embrace the cult known as Jehovah's Witness. 
false prophets employ deception, which makes them more dangerous. They claim to care about you. They claim to care about your relationship with God. They claim to have a burden for you. And and again, after claiming these things, that's when they'll ask you to tuck in your most generous love gift. And and even though um, they're down, they, they need their $65 million jet in order to do the work of the ministry. It's difficult, it's difficult, it's difficult to guard ourselves against those who claim that they love you or that they love us and that they care about us. In verse 5, remember, we knew that dogs were dogs and we knew that hogs were hogs. But there's something else here. Something way more subtle, way more difficult to discern. Dogs and hogs don't pretend to be anything other than dogs and hogs. False prophets love to call themselves Christian. And they're offended when you point out that they have a different Jesus and they'd have a different gospel. And they have a different means of salvation. And with a different Jesus, like the spirit brother of Lucifer of of the Mormons or the archangel Michael of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you can't have a different Jesus with a different gospel and expect a different result. In Old Testament times, Prophets wore distinctive clothing. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 4, it talks about they adopt the clothing that is rough and uncomfortable. Prophets dressed simply, plainly. Today, certain religious people wear distinctive clothing, whether it's a black or a, or a white collar, to identify themselves as clergy and everything that goes with it. Is it wrong to wear distinctive clothing? No, not necessarily. Is it wrong to wear a great big cross around your neck so that you can see it from a hundred yards away? That's not a problem. The cross is always big enough for other people to see, but very rarely big enough to actually die on. Some people appear to be genuine believers, They claim to be true shepherds. They claim to teach the truth. But they deceive and mislead and ultimately destroy the people they claim to love. The false teachers and false prophets are wolves, vicious unbelievers who prey on the immature, the unstable. Not my words. These are the words of Jude and Peter and Paul. And so Jesus says in verse 16, be watching, be watching. They will produce fruit. Look at verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, again, I want you to pause for a moment in Jesus's sermon 
and think about where you are and think about the context. Jesus has spoken about the narrow way. Jesus knows that the stern demands of discipleship will be rejected by most. Jesus knows that there will be those who will find a way to make the broad way look narrow and the narrow way to look broad. And so Jesus deals with the the detection of the false prophets. The passage is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. The cult leader or the false spiritual leader believe that their good deeds constitute good fruit. Mormons will have great family time. Christian scientists may enjoy great health. But good fruit in this context isn't simply good deeds. I want you to think about what you've been reading. The statement that Jesus is asserting is that he is a true prophet and a good prophet. And because he's a true prophet preaching a true word that he can expect to produce true disciples. In this context, the false prophet teaching a false gospel will produce a false disciple So what's the fruit we're looking for? We're looking for the fruit of the Spirit, which describes the character of Christ and the character of the Holy Spirit imparted to the believer. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you guys know the passage. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Jesus has described this character and this content and the Beatitudes for those of you who don't remember, blessed are the poor in spirit in verse 3 of chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Best, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the, the peacemakers. He's described the character of the citizen in the kingdom. Here, fruit means the fruit, not simply of the person's lips. He also means their testimony and praise of God in Hebrews 13.5. Holy living, chapter 6, verse 22. Good works, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Concern for souls and their salvation, chapter 1, verse 13. In other, in other words, all of the evidences, all of the evidences that an inward change, a profound humility, transparency, reality of a sovereign God having changed your life. Remember the counterfeit Christian is surprised at the judgment. Satan blinds the mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3, deceives people into thinking, I'm just fine. And when Christ returns, millions, millions, millions of self-professing Christians millions of Christians all over the world who claim to be Christians, who literally showed up at church and even brought a Bible and did good things, are going to discover that they were never saved at all. And that's what he's going to talk about in the very next section. The prophet is judged on a number of different factors. 
Now think about this for just a moment. Jesus warns that there are false prophets. The false prophet doesn't always look like a false prophet. The false prophet can look and act like a real prophet. A prophet in the broadest sense of the word, remember what their claim is. They claim to speak for God. The prophet is judged by what he or she says and does. A false prophet will soon be exposed at some point either by what they say or by what they do. Some false prophets are obvious and others are less obvious. And difficult to discern, careful observation, careful commitment to the true Jesus of the New Testament and the true gospel in the New Testament will allow the saint of God to make the determination because look what it says in verse 16. You should underline it. You will know them. Do you know why this is important to you? Because it doesn't say... You'll be taken in. You'll be deceived. You'll be snookered, as Pastor Chuck used to say. You'll be taken in. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. When I was a very young boy, my grandparents lived by a, on a farmhouse next to an orchard. And they had a gigantic apricot tree right next to the house. And you don't have to have an advanced degree in horticulture to know that if a tree is discolored or if a tree is diseased or if a tree is dead, it's not going to produce fruit. It will either produce rotten fruit or no fruit at all. And the trees that look healthy and robust usually produce fruit that is healthy and tasty. What do you do when the tree looks healthy but the fruit tastes nasty, diseased, toxic? Jesus says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? In the first example, the obvious answer is no. Orange trees do not produce lemons. And a false prophet with a false gospel can't produce a true disciple. Fruit in this context refers to both spiritual health and personal conduct. False teachers aren't simply dangerous because of their destructive teachings. False prophets are dangerous because of their dishonoring lives. And so Jesus says in verse 17, even so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. The principle is true both in the natural world and in the supernatural world. Neither the good tree or the bad tree can produce wax fruit. Wax fruit is mass produced to look like fruit, but it has none of the advantages of real fruit. False teachers, by very definition, cannot produce true citizens, real disciples. And so in verse 18, Jesus says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. I'm going to suggest to you that in the context, the good tree isn't just trees in general. That its primary meaning has to do with Jesus himself. 
He's the true vine as opposed to the other vine. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. The life and the teaching of those who claim to speak for God are filtered through the character of Christ and then tested by the word of God. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, the prophet Isaiah said, If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, unquote. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now remember where we've come from. We've been told how to detect the false prophet in verse 15. We've been warned about their destructive teaching and how dangerous their lifestyle is. Now in verses 16, 17, and 18. But now we're given a glimpse into the false teacher's destiny. Where are they going to go? They're going to be cut down. They're going to be thrown into the fire. The doom of false teachers and prophets is swift destruction. Peter, writing about that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, says, But there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. His words, not mine. In verse 20 it says, therefore, in light of that, in light of verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, therefore by their fruits you will know them. The Lord Jesus says you can know them, you can spot them, you can identify them. You can know them and spot them and identify them because remember, their Jesus is not the Jesus of the New Testament. Remember, you can spot them and know them because their gospel isn't the gospel of Jesus. Their words aren't the words of Christ. Can real Christians be deceived by false prophets? I think that the true answer is yes. Research by apologetic ministries have shown that many, many people involved in cults were once attenders of historical biblical churches. You don't have to search far. If you've ever dealt with someone in Mormonism or, or Jehovah's Witness, if you've ever dealt with someone in one of the other cults of Christian science or, or one of the other cults, and, and you say, tell me, tell me about your life. Tell me how you grew up. Well, my mom and dad were Christians and we went to a God-honoring church that believed in the Bible and believed that the gospel was true. Cults abound with people who used to go to a good church. Other false teachers are much more subtle. Sometimes Christians grow lazy and they refuse to heed warnings or exercise discernment. I had a person visit me at my doorstep. Hi, 
do you know it's close to the end of the world? But there's hope for you. I go, great. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. Well, I represent the Watchtower and Track Society. Oh, you mean that Bible group that was started by the false prophet, Charles Taze Russell. Well, not everything he said was true. Oh, really? What did he say that wasn't true? And the guy realizes he's in over his head and he goes, I probably shouldn't have said that. This is not how our conversation is supposed to go. <laughs> Sometimes we have to go a little bit beyond the surface. And again, the point of, 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 of the encounter isn't to humiliate people who are involved in cults. We love them. We should care about them. We should realize that they're in a broken place and in a dark place, and uh, that apart from the true Jesus and the true gospel, they're not going to make it. Before we define a false prophet, remember we have to remind ourselves of what is a true prophet. A true prophet is sent by God with God's message. The true prophet of God has a message and no other message. It's the gospel message. It's the message that God has given. One of the most dangerous things about false prophets is they claim that they come in God's name, sometimes in Jesus' name. But remember, 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 the false prophet will preach a false Christ. The the false teacher will point to a different Savior, a different Jesus. They'll call him by the name Jesus, but you'll soon discover that their Savior is not your Savior. Like I said earlier, If you believe that he's Michael, the archangel, or the spirit brother of Lucifer, or an ascended master, or one of many prophets, then the chances are you're not on the right track. In the last two centuries, more than 2,000 people have claimed either to be Jesus or the reincarnation of Jesus. Paul warned in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. If Jesus, if Peter, if Jude, if Paul leave you with any impression whatsoever, it's the impression that you need to be very Very careful. Again, John MacArthur writes, all false prophets will have an incomplete, distorted, or perverted view of Christ. Unquote. They'll not only preach a false Christ, but they'll pretend a righteous character. Remember in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 16, it says, For indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those that still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. In the Old Testament, it was always a warning if the so-called prophet got fat off the people. 
Not only will they preach a false Christ, pretend a righteous character, but they'll pervert the word of God. 2 Peter 3.16, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of the scriptures, unquote. The false prophet, the false teachers, and their false followers will claim to know about the Bible, but they really don't. Try it the next time the Jehovah's Witness comes to your door or the Mormon comes to your door. Say, what's the theme? Well, forget the theme of the book of Hebrews. I was going to say, tell me, what the book, tell me what the theme of the book of Hebrews is. We could go even further. There's 66 books in the Bible. I've done this on more than one occasion. 66 books in the Bible. You know the Bible? Give me the theme of any of them. You name the book and give me the theme. Do you know how many have been able to answer my question? Zero. Do you want to know why? Because they don't know the theme of the Bible. They don't know the theme of the book because they don't care what the book says in its context. The theme of the book of Hebrews is the priesthood of Christ. The theme of this book of Matthew is that Jesus is the king. It's one thing for them not to know. It's another thing for you not to know. I've devoted my whole life to you. To teach you. To instruct you. So that you'll know the difference between right and wrong. And good and evil. And true and false. So that you'll never, ever, ever have to worry about hearing about a false Christ or false righteous character or pervert the word of God. These people will always promote a false system of salvation. Remember what the Bible says. Human beings are lost apart from Christ. They're lost apart from the gospel of grace. We are by nature's and, and choice, sinners, we're enslaved to sin. We don't do what's right. We're spiritually dead, deserving of God's wrath and punishment. The spectrum of holiness doesn't begin with the worst of us and then lead to the best of us. We judge ourselves by the only standard that makes sense, and that's the person of Christ. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul proclaims that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of your it is the gift of God. And if the person begins their conversation with those words, you shouldn't just simply say, great, this means you're okay. You need to be able to say, and what else? What else? 
Well, you have to come to my church. Well, what else? You have to read my book. What else? You have to go door to door with me. What else? You have to do good works. What else? You have to be a good person. You have to do this and you have to do that. And you have to do this and you have to do that. And make no mistake about it. Any gospel that asks you to do something other than to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, that you repent of your sin and you trust Christ and you embrace him and you embrace his promise. Because remember, 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 remember that good fruit isn't simply good deeds. We're called to love those who are trapped in the kingdom of the cults. We're to expose and refute the false teachers and the false prophets. Some of you remember the tragedy and disaster at Jonestown in Guyana. It was a long time ago, but it wasn't that long for me. Jim Jones was the pastor of a church in the San Francisco Bay Area where my family lived, at least my grandparents. He called his church the People's Temple. And most of the people who went to his church were from mainstream Christian churches. And most of the people who joined his church believed that they would find greater fellowship and greater service to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church came to an abrupt end in the jungles of South America when over a thousand members committed suicide or were forced to participate in in one of the largest group suicides in the 20th century. Mel White explains how so many people could be fatally misled. He writes, he, Jim Jones, knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes for the retarded. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. He founded a community center. He preached about God. He claimed to cast out demons. He claimed that he could do miracles and heal. But on the other hand, we find the marks of a false prophet. He promoted himself through the use of celebrities, a very common vehicle for false prophets to gain credibility. He manipulated the press. He wanted certain stories made about him. He was big on playing to the press. He used the language and forms of faith to gain power, unquote. And most of you would have said, how in the world could you possibly, possibly be Angry with Jim Jones. Look at all the good things that he's doing for our community. It's one thing to do good things, but it's another thing to realize that a false prophet with a false Jesus and a false gospel can never produce a true true disciple and a true citizen remember the twin tests the test of truth and then the life that that truth produces false prophets can hide and disguise their fruit but not forever corrupt theology will always take its toll corrupt 
theology will always take its toll and it will corrupt the person who's promoting it and the person who believes it. False prophets will talk a lot about God's love, but very rarely will they speak of his holiness and righteous perfections. The false prophet will speak much about people's deprivation, but rarely will they refer to their own depravity. The false prophet has much to say about everything, but very little to say about the most important thing. How's your heart? How's your soul? How's your walk? How's your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for these men and women. I pray, Lord, that every single person will not only want to desperately know you and walk with you, that they'll want to reflect the life that Jesus has been talking about, not just merely religious externals, but a powerful change that has taken place inside of our heart because we've trusted the real Jesus and that we've been given a real gospel by the apostles and the writers of the New Testament that real sinners can embrace a real savior and find real life and real hope. And so, Lord, again, I pray for each and every person, Lord. I pray that they would examine their hearts and know the truth about themselves. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give a major outpouring of grace and mercy, of discernment, the ability, as Spurgeon said, to not simply tell the truth between what is right and wrong, but between what's right and almost right. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.